0: Hello and welcome to American Catholic History, brought to you by the support of listeners like you. If you value this content, please become a supporter at americancatholichistory.org/support. I'm Noel Heaster Crow.
1: And I'm Tom Crow.
0: Once again, a word of thanks for our supporters. Thank you, everyone, who has supported our work.
1: Yes, thank you sincerely. Your support makes all of this work possible. And if you're not a supporter yet, but you've enjoyed these episodes, if you've learned something, if you've been inspired or edified, please, please consider becoming a supporter.
0: You can learn about our support tiers at org slash support. And coming soon, another way to support the podcast will be some really great merchandise. We're working with a really talented young artist on some nice depictions of holy Americans and others. And we can't wait to share these with you. Super excited.
1: Yeah, we actually, these these are really cool. We wanted something unique that would really capture the spirit of these heroes of the faith. And we think these images really capture that spirit in a way. They're, They're not ready just yet, but they will be soon and we will have that announcement for you
0: yeah hopefully by the end of april we have some stickers we'll put them on a t-shirt anything else that you all want let us know
1: coffee mugs tote bags you know we'll go the full npr thing
0: yeah drop us yeah. drop us a note uh at our email or um on our facebook page yep that'd okay. be great So anyways, uh, thank you for all of your support. And also thank you for your very kind reviews and those five star ratings. We really appreciate those, too.
1: Yeah, those help those help others to find us. So, you know, help us get the word out about about American Catholic history. So on with the show. (laughs) On with this episode.
0: Today, we're talking about Joseph Barbera, co-founder of the cartoon studio, Hanna Barbera. Anyone who grew up with a television in the past, say, oh, I don't know, 70 years or so is familiar with the work of Hanna-Barbera.
1: Yes. Tom and Jerry, The Flintstones, Huckleberry Hound, Scooby-Doo, Yogi Bear, Super Friends, The Smurfs, Top Cat, Johnny Quest, and Quick Draw McGraw are among the more than 100 cartoon series that Joseph Barbera was personally involved in bringing to life.
0: So... Just a remarkable list. So many of the most recognizable characters in entertainment in the 20th century.
1: Yeah, they're up there with the Warner Brothers and Walt Disney as far as creating beloved, unforgettable characters.
0: And one of this duo, Joseph Barbera, got his start drawing at his Catholic school in New York when he was about eight years old.
1: Yes, the power of a teacher to help chart a student's life path. Yeah, and this really strikes close to home for me now, since I'm teaching in a Montessori elementary classroom.
0: Right, and you've got some really gifted artists in your classroom.
1: I really do. The, so a story like Barbera's really gives me food for thought when I'm working with these students, I'm, you know, encouraging them in their art.
0: Who knows? Maybe the next great cartoonist or painter will come out of
1: Hilltop Children's House. That would be pretty cool, but time <laughs> will tell.
0: That would be. But... We do know that one of the great cartoonists of the 20th century came out of Holy Innocent School in Brooklyn, New York, and the teacher who encouraged young Joseph Barbera was Sister Mary Nicholas.
1: Yes, Joseph Barbera was born in the Little Italy neighborhood of Manhattan in New York City on March 24th, 1911. He was the second of his parents' three children, all boys. Both of his parents were immigrants from Sicily, and his father was from Castle Vetrano. And do you know what else comes from Castle Vetrano? Delicious olives? Yes, some of the best olives for snacking. (laughs)
0: <laughs> and martinis.
1: Yes. When Joseph was still an infant, the family moved across the East River to Brooklyn, where they settled in the Flatbush area. Joe wasn't great at academics in school, but he showed an ability to draw at an early age. Yeah, his
0: first drawing exercises were sketches he made copying pictures from books that he had at home. One of the first was of a puppy playing with a kitten.
1: His teachers, especially the aforementioned Sister Mary Nicholas, noted that he was much more interested in drawing than he was at studying a other subjects, so they gave him wide latitude to do that.
0: Not only did they give him latitude, they asked him to draw biblical scenes on the chalkboard in colored chalk. One of the first was the triumphal entry of Jesus into Jerusalem. He did so much drawing rather than other subjects that eventually his mother asked the sisters to get him to do more math and other subjects. Yeah,
1: I can relate to that. He graduated high school in 1928 and took a job in the rack department at a bank, some some kind of a big room that had a bunch of adding machines, essentially. But his poor math skills made his future as a banker bleak.
0: Yeah, I worked in a bank for a while. Banks are kind of insistent that things add up properly. Yeah, it's kind of weird, right? (laughs) I know. But Barbera's inspiration to pursue drawing as a profession was coming soon.
1: Yes, that came in 1929 in the form of Walt Disney's short animated film, The Skeleton Dance. It is just five minutes long. But what a five minutes. 18-year-old Barbera was mesmerized watching those skeletons dance across the screen to the tune of the Danse Macabre by Camille Sanson. He knew he had to try to make animation his career. When he got home that evening, he sat down and drew a sketch of Mickey Mouse and sent it to Walt Disney, seeking a position in Disney's operations.
0: Disney was 10 years older than Barbera. By the late 1920s, he had established his studio, with Mickey Mouse originating in 1928. So Disney was quite the model for Barbera to follow.
1: Disney wrote back to Barbera, saying he'd be in New York City soon for a business meeting, and he'd call on Barbera. Quite a thrilling prospect for the 18-year-old. But alas, Disney never did call on him.
0: Later in life, Barbera recalled that early disappointment, considering it a blessing. He said, I would have been just another animator at the Disney studio, as nameless as if I had stayed in that rack department.
1: So he kept on at the bank, though by this time in a role that didn't require as much math. He spent his lunch breaks drawing cartoons, which he would share around the office. He also kept sending them to magazines in the hopes of getting some printed.
0: After two years of persistence, he finally did get some printed. The first one in Collier's magazine, they paid him $25 for it.
1: Around this time, he lost his job at the bank because of a rather significant event which struck the banking industry at the end of the 1920s, And what would that have been? Um, the Great Depression? Yes, that's it. Many banks failed. Those that didn't fail were significantly hurt and had to cut costs. But that may have been the kick in the pants that he needed to just dive into drawing full-time and sink or swim with it.
0: Seems there may have been something to that, because he went first to Van Buren studio, where he was hired for $25 a week. That lasted for a while, and then in 1932, he moved on to Terry Tunes, where he was hired for... $35 $35 a week.
1: At Terrytoons, he took the initiative to do his first original storyboard, taking some of the firm's most popular characters and developing a new story with them. The owner appreciated it, but he didn't go for it. Barbera, however, considered his work a success because he had completed a storyboard that at least merited consideration. While at Terry Tunes, Barbera got married in 1935 to his high school sweetheart, Dorothy Earle.
0: But then the big break came for Barbera in 1937. Metro-Golden-Mayer, MDM, had decided to open a cartoon studio under the leadership of Fred Quimby. It seems that Dorothy wasn't eager to move across the country, but Joseph leapt at the opportunity to fulfill his dream. He would be making animated shorts for theaters, just like the skeleton dance that had drawn him in so many years before.
1: Joseph went west, to Hollywood but Dorothy didn't accompany him west initially. She did come out eventually, but things weren't so hot between them. They were near another separation when they found out that they were pregnant. The birth of this first child, a son, helped them overcome their differences for a time. Three more children followed over the years, with one, a son, dying just the day after he was born.
0: But family problems didn't stop his career from taking off.
1: No, but unfortunately, it seems his career taking off caused problems for his family. More on that in a moment.
0: Yes, none of that is clear from what we could see, so we're just going to stick to the good parts.
1: Yeah, and in this case, that means talking about how Barbera met the man who would be his other half professionally and creatively for the next 60 years, William Hanna.
0: Initially, the pairing was simple. They were assigned desks next to one another in the studio. But it didn't take long for them to realize that they collaborated really well. Their strengths and weaknesses as animators, storytellers, and directors meshed nicely.
1: And thus was born that beautiful partnership. In 1940, they collaborated on an animated short called Puss Gets the Boot. It featured a cat chasing a cute little mouse and the mouse outwitting the cat and visiting violence upon him. It was the first time that this particular cat and mouse characters were featured on the big screen, but within a year, they would be mainstays of cartoon lore known as Tom and Jerry.
0: Barbara and Hannah were pretty sure they had a hit, something they should do more with. But their supervisor in the studio, Fred Quimby, wasn't interested in more cat and mouse shorts. He thought it was overdone
1: until one day when a lady who ran one of the movie houses that ran MGM shorts wrote asking when they were going to release more of those charming cartoons about the cat and the mouse. Suddenly, Fred Quimby was interested.
0: I wonder if the Oscar nomination
1: also helped sway his opinion. Yeah, you think that might have done something. Puss Gets the Boot was nominated for an Oscar in 1941, though it didn't win.
0: Fortunately for Quimby, Barbara and Hannah had continued developing material for the cat and mouse in their own time, so they were ready to go.
1: Right. Starting in 1940 and going for 17 years, Barbara and Hannah were set on their Tom and Jerry series for MGM. In 1943, an episode of Tom and Jerry called The Yankee Doodle Mouse won an Oscar, the first of seven Oscars the series won out of 14 nominations. That's just astounding. Those are both records for animated series featuring the same characters. The run with MGM, however, came to an abrupt end in 1957.
0: MGM produced films for the silver screen, but by the late 1950s, television had really taken hold and cut into the movie-going crowds. The animation shop was among those that got the axe. But leaving MGM only meant Barbara and Hannah were free to set up their own studio, so they did, and they were among the first to realize the power of television and to start producing cartoon episodes for it.
1: And shortly after setting up Hanna-Barbera Studios, the name was decided by a coin flip, they were off and running. Their first success was Huckleberry Hound in 1958. That show won an Emmy, the first by an animated series, in 1960. But Huckleberry Hound would hardly be the most popular and enduring of their shows. In 1960, The Flintstones began its six-year run and then Yogi Bear in 1961.
0: Yogi Bear actually started as a side character in Huckleberry Hound... But he proved so popular that his own show made sense.
1: Yes. And as for The Flintstones, that hugely popular series was the first animated TV series to have a slot in primetime. It was nominated for a primetime Emmy for humor in 1961, but lost to Jack Benny.
0: (laughs) Well, that's understandable. Benny was an all-time great. Yes. Don't get me started on Benny. Yeah, really. I can go for
1: a while. Oh, I won't get you started on (laughs) Benny. I know you can. By the end of the 1960s, Hanna-Barbera was the most successful animation studio in television.
0: But during this same time, Barbera's personal life wasn't going nearly as well.
1: Yeah, no. Troubles in the marriage led to more separations between Joseph and Dorothy, finally culminating in a divorce in 1963. We couldn't find any details about this whole thing, whether there was an annulment. Which
0: might seem difficult to obtain after 28 years and four kids. Yeah,
1: not impossible, but difficult. Maybe. And we just hope and pray that all was done according to the laws of the church, because Barbara met and married his second wife, Sheila, within the year.
0: It seems one point of contention between Joseph and Dorothy may have been that Dorothy never warmed up to the glitz and glamour of the Hollywood life like Joseph did. She preferred to remain more anonymous while Joseph reveled in the limelight and at the parties and events.
1: Yes, and Sheila was much more like Joseph on that score. There are lots of questions there that we can't and really won't speculate on.
0: Yeah, as we say, we leave that to God. Who knows what happened, and we hope that it was all proper.
1: And it's clear that Barbera still felt that God-shaped hole during and after this time, because in the late 1960s he began to push for a new and, by many people's estimation, risky new cartoon series.
0: Its beginning, it seems, in 1968 or 69, Barbera would go to television executives every year to ask for airtime for a cartoon series based entirely on stories in the Bible. He loved scripture and saw in it great material for a cartoon Tunes, using the stories to share moral lessons.
1: In an interview, he lamented that kids weren't reading books as much as they used to, but they were watching video so he hoped he could bring the great stories and moral lessons of the Bible to them through a cartoon series. So, every year, as the fortunes of Hanna-Barbera productions continued to soar, he would bring this proposal to executives. Hanna-Barbera was bringing success after success during this time with new cartoons like Scooby-Doo, The Jetsons, and in the 1980s, The Smurfs.
0: Though to be clear, the Smurfs wasn't a Hanna-Barbera original creation. The Smurfs had been a huge hit in Europe, originating in Holland in the 1960s. Hanna-Barbera's role was to bring it across the pond and make it a success here in the U.S. Right,
1: so not their own original idea, but certainly their own work to make it an American thing. It was a mainstay on TV for 10 years in the 1980s. I remember watching it a lot. Me too. And it has been in syndication ever since, so another huge hit.
0: Mm-hmm. When again, through all this time, Barbera was asking time and again every year to have a series based on the Bible, and time and again the network said No.
1: Finally, he decided that he couldn't wait for a television network to share his vision. So in 1985, he finally convinced Taft Broadcasting, the parent company who controlled Hanna-Barbera by this point, to fund the project in a direct-to-video format.
0: The executives probably figured they owed him for all the success he'd brought them.
1: And they may have just figured that someone who had been so right so many times about what would be a commercial success just might have a good idea about what would work. (laughs) Seriously. And so,
0: The Greatest Adventure, Stories from the Bible, was born.
1: And Barbera really did believe that this series would be popular. He made it to be matter-of-fact, not preachy. He felt that the stories themselves would tell the tale. He didn't have to embellish.
0: In the episodes, which were released direct to home video... Now, there's a
1: phrase you don't hear anymore. (laughs)
0: Right. They were released between 1985 and 1992. A trio of modern-day young archaeologists find a door in some ruins in the desert, and through it, they are transported back in time. In each episode, they find themselves in a different part of the biblical timeline. In some, they are near Jesus and see his ministry firsthand. In others, they witness an event from the Old Testament. In some, they meet a person who was a first-hand witness to an event, and they learn about it through that person.
1: Barbera used the device of modern-day young people to help make the stories connect with a modern audience. The Greatest Adventure videos were a decent success. The first one, on the story of Moses, was released in April 1985. A year later, five more were released on David and Goliath, Joshua and the Battle of Jericho, Noah's Ark, Samson and Delilah, and Daniel and the Lion's Den. Then, after those proved to be a commercial success, seven more were released between 1987 and 1992. The Nativity of Jesus, The Story of Creation, Easter, Joseph and His Brothers, The Miracles of Jesus, Queen Esther, and lastly, one on the prophet Jonah.
0: The series was popular across faith traditions, with Catholic, Protestant, and even Jewish retailers selling the tapes. One of the most pleasant surprises for Barbera, however, was when some sisters from his old school, Holy Innocents, back in Brooklyn, said they were buying a set for use in their classrooms.
1: The hometown boy made good. He comes full circle. Yep. Joseph Barbera considered the greatest adventure series to be the most important thing he worked on in his lifetime. Many other projects made much more money, but this one, to his mind, helped make people better. He said of the series, whenever there is a belief in God and an understanding of His messages, it produces a better kind of person, one that respects other people. And that was what he hoped his series would do. Joseph
0: Barbera remained involved in the production company he co-founded for the rest of his life, and he was always approachable. One cartoonist who worked for Hanna-Barbera in the 1990s recounts that Mr. B would always make time when he had family or friends come to the studio for a tour. During the mini-tour of his office, he would show them his Emmys, talk about various memorabilia, and show them pictures of famous people. The one picture that he was most proud of and would show to everyone was the photo of the time he met Pope John Paul II.
1: A Catholic boy to the end. Hanna-Barbera went through the hands of a few different parent companies, starting with Taft Broadcasting in the 1960s. Barbera and Hanna were always in the leadership and intimately involved in creative meetings, planning, and decision-making until their respective deaths.
0: William Hanna died of throat cancer in 2001, after his death, Hanna-Barbera ceased to exist as a standalone company. Warner Brothers Discovery, who owned the company at that point, folded its operation into Warner Brothers Animation. Death came for Joseph Barbera five years later, in December of 2006. Joseph Barbera had spent his life entertaining millions with a gift first recognized and nurtured by the nuns at Holy Innocence, and ultimately he hoped to leave the world a better place through his art. This has been American Catholic History. If you enjoy American Catholic History, please become a supporter. We've got great perks for supporters. Get information on how to become a supporter and the perks at AmericanCatholicHistory.org slash support.
1: Also on our website, sign up for our newsletter, learn more about Joseph Barbera, see about our pilgrimages, including our awesome trip coming up in August to the Kentucky Kentucky Holy Land and Bourbon Country, easy for me to say. Filling up. And find other great, yes, it is filling up, and find other great stories from American Catholic History.
0: We also love the great reviews our listeners leave. Those and the five-star ratings help others find us. You can also email us feedback, questions, tips for episode topics, and other comments at feedback at org. You can find us on Facebook at Facebook.com slash American Catholic History on Instagram at ACH underscore podcast and follow us on Twitter at ACH 1513. I'm Noel Hester Crow, And I'm Tom Crow. Thank you once again for joining us on American Catholic History made possible by listeners like you.